about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And we are back. Welcome to the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan, joined by Steve as always, and unfortunately. And uh, this week we got a special guest. Uh, you heard him a few weeks ago before uh, actually COVID took took out the Notre Dame football team. So hopefully it's better luck this time. Uh, please welcome Michael from Twitter. You guys know him well. Uh, you know what? He was just so good last week we had to have him on again. So Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Don't, don't, don't jinx me with the COVID stuff. I don't want to be that <laughs> That's guy. That's on you. That's on you. <laughs> Something happens. We're gonna, we have to have a long talk about <laughs> my involvement. Causation with, uh, and correlation. I get them mixed up, you know. Dude, I'm superstitious anything. I came home uh, from my son's t-ball game just in time to watch uh, Tyree take a knee in the end zone. And I was sitting in a, which I'm not proud to say, Tigers color, LSU Tigers colors coach's jersey. Sat down and watched the first half of the game. And I was like, I need to change my shirt. My jersey's wrong. Yeah, Apparently, I'm very. Uh, I stick to my late. game day jersey all the time myself. I definitely have my. Yeah. I'm sure all our listeners do too. Which yeah. I think would be a fun experiment to do uh, this upcoming game day. Is uh, everyone tweet us their game day outfits? That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and, cool. and everybody, whatever you typically do, whatever your norm, your superstition is, please do it. Don't don't get lazy with it. It has it has bad repercussions, as we learned. <laughs> I, I've got a game day jersey, but not because I'm superstitious, just because I bought the jersey, or I got it at least. So I got a Montana 77 green one, which I love. So I, I wear that for game days. And I'm not a superstitious person, but for sure during Notre Dame games, I get really wacky. Um, <laughs> and the one time, uh, this was on the podcast when we found our first season, um, I wasn't wearing my Notre Dame socks when we were playing USC. And it was the, like you know the last game of the year to get into the playoff, and we were losing at halftime. So my girlfriend like ran into the room to find my socks to give them to me. We ended up winning. So, you know, always Works. wear the socks. Works. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's let's get unfortunately into this game here. Uh, Notre Dame beats Louisville, and that's about the extent of the good news. It was twelve to seven that extends our home winning streak to twenty two games, which is really impressive. And we now have a ten straight winning game in the NCAA, which is leading everyone else in the country. Um, in terms of just how you enjoyed the game, Michael, I'll let you go first. Just what are your initial <laughs> thoughts? Um, I put this on Twitter. You may have seen it. And um, actually, uh, a Blue and Gold Illustrated writer uh, kind of retweeted it to a degree. Um, if our offense was a firework, it, it was a dud. Best case scenario, it was a fancy sparkler. And the issue with that is you included other podcasts, myself, anyone who's watched Notre Dame this year and looked up how Louisville had been playing defensively. You're thinking, oh, 40 points, easy. No questions asked. 40 points. Where were the fireworks? Oh, my God. There was nothing. Book seems afraid to throw the ball downfield. Not sure. Um, and the the – Steve, you'll appreciate this. The the windy excuse to me is like when you're on the golf course and you you oh you're the guy who misses the five footer all the time, and then you miss it 
with your buddies and you're like, you know, they just aerated the grass. That's why I missed it. Hey, you know what? Listen, I need my every excuse possible on the golf course. So (laughs) that's, that's what it felt like when book was blaming the wind. I'm like, okay, fine. Well, you will use game four, the wind. Please explain games one through three then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's, it's a convenient excuse in yesterday's or yeah, yesterday's game, but okay. I just, I had serious uh, withdrawals (laughs) watching our offense when I expected so much more. And meanwhile, the defense is just laying the wood outside of one pass that, I'm sorry, that was just a great design by Louisville. They set it up to where you got two linebackers chasing probably their fastest guy on the team. What do you expect to happen? They set up a first and goal at the one. It is what it is. But – if when you're competing with your defense to score, like who's going to score a touchdown, the defense or the offense? That's a problem. Did you have any heart attacks? Like, how was your I, mental I, health during the game? Uh, there, were, there was definitely some yelling at the TV in the in the first half. Um, in the second half, there were moments, but the fact that we shut them out in the second half, uh, or not the second half, but uh, after the first drive. Uh, just I don't know. I I think I got all my yelling out, and I accepted the fact that this offense is not going to do anything. But like you said, Dylan, I there was never a doubt that we were going to lose the game. It's weird. It was that close, and I was just sitting there going, "We're going to win." Like I was perfectly comfortable in terms of like my heart rate. I was frustrated. I was still yelling, but it it was. I, I, was, I felt like a coach. Like you're you're being critical when you need to be critical but you're confident in what the outcome was going to be. Mm-hmm. I felt uh, I felt frustrated with how many stoppages there were in the game. It was a really boring game. But Steve, I want to ask you, because I know you were enjoying some Guinnesses over the course of the game. How are you feeling as a whole? Well, thankfully, I only had four, and that means I was coherent. Um, you know, Usually a couple of glasses of wine and a, and a six-pack will, will uh, put me a little bit over the edge because I'm getting old and just can't put them down like I used to, but, uh, stuck to my four, had a nice little buzz going and, and just, uh, you know, wasn't the ideal Saturday. Uh, I would have been a, a f- nice to score at least 21 points, uh, or, you know, step on the throats at the end. And I'm, I'm sure we'll cover that in great detail here. Um, yeah, I mean, all, all great points that you made Mike, um, in regards to everything, you know, we, we were down seven to six and at no point was I concerned. Um, you know, I, I did even in fact tweet out, you know, Notre Dame is going to come back to win this game. That's like, I know that's going to happen. I know it's probably going to be by 10 points or less. And it's not that I'm concerned. It's just that I'm annoyed. Um, you know, we should be winning pretty big against inferior opponents. Good teams win, great teams cover the wind sucks, but you know, you just, you got to find a way to, uh, to just move the ball one way or another. And, you know, in a monsoon, Michigan was able to, well, I'm sorry to bring that up, but, you know, in, in monsoons, you know, other teams are able to adapt to, uh, to those circumstances and, and those situations, and we seemingly do not. Um, now, one thing I, I do want to note, and, and we're going to get pretty analytical into, you know, yards per attempt and, and the whole nine in regards to book and his performance, which I don't think was terrible by any means, but definitely obviously wasn't his best. Uh, do, do you guys think 
Uh, Dylan, I'll, I'll defer to you first, and then Mike, you can weigh in as well. Do you think that? And, and I'm I'm pretty impressed so far this season with with Coach Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator. Do you think that he's kind of given a very short leash to Ian? Do you think that he's bottling him up and just trying to make everything, you know, timing plays, timing routes, um, you know, keep it close to the chest, keep it ten or fifteen yards and in. Uh, like, is that indicative of that he has just no confidence in book? Does book lack the confidence? You know, what what are your thoughts on the whole coaching situation and and the way that the offenses run in general? Yeah, I think you said it best there when you said short leash. Um, I think there's evidence to suggest that. Before I completely answer, I think Tommy Reese was doing a really good job at the start of the game, and then things got really wacky on offense. I mean, the play calls turned uber conservative in a way that did not help us at all. Um, and you'll see um, if you follow ND uh, football stats and analytics, um, they posted today the, the amount of throwing attempts that we try after an incompletion is near the bottom of the country. So the rate at which we throw the ball after an incompletion is almost nothing. Um, which is a little problematic because it does suggest that Tommy Rees has a short leash on Ian Book and that whenever something doesn't go right, he doesn't want to go back to it. And I think part of it, too, is just the pressure of having such a good offensive line and having so much running success early in the season, which we said was not sustainable. But when that pressure's on you internally, within the fan base, within the coaches, within the players, I think that you don't want to throw the ball too much when you know that you got good guys that can run the ball there. So I think it's, I think it is partly that I think it's definitely a, a leash situation, um, but I'm interested to hear what Michael thinks about it. Okay. So uh, I actually talked to you, Dylan, a little bit about the passing offense. I don't know. I, I it's, I don't know if it's a, a short leash or books unwillingness to, to take a chance. I think it's somewhere in the middle because if you do get uh, – and I don't have an all-22 or anything like that, but if you do have opportunities to see from behind him or a wide view, you do see some deeper routes being run. And in some cases, you see some open receivers. And open defining as D1 open, you're not like running free, but you're open. And Book's just n- not doing it. And, you know, <clears throat> I I mentioned Dylan – I. I focused on the yards, you know, how many yards is thrown. And while, yes, our offense is designed around our run game and it's a, a very effective run game. We got a great two-back system right now with uh, Kyron and Tyree. But when your Notre Dame quarterback, number 14, now number three team in the country, is the 11th ranked passer in the ACC based on yards, that's concerning to me. We're not the Big 12. We're not, you know, in this high-flying conference now for the one year. Ranked 11th, that's – I don't like that. But then you look at the receivers. You know, he used – he at least used to have like a favorite receiver, a go-to guy. Not only his yards down, our number one receiver is Tremble. And we're, I, I had it all uh, written out here. Tremble ranks 53rd in the ACC in catches because he only has 10. That's our leading receiver in number of catches. Yardage is McKinley with like 121, which ranks 198th nationally. Our best receiver is almost ranked 200th in the country in yardage. And he's played every game. It's not like 
you're looking at Lindsay who missed some time or, you know, it's, it's just the numbers are not great. And I mentioned that because yesterday there weren't uh, as many deep routes, but throughout these first four games, he's just not pulling the trigger. And so while it might be a shorter leash, I think if you're looking at a short leash, all of book, it's in the middle with slight scale leaning towards books indecision and lack of trigger pulling. I mean, it's, it's got to come at some point because facts are facts. I saw something and maybe it was because you tweeted it, Dylan, but right now Notre Dame is passing at a rate that rivals Air Force, Navy, and other triple option teams. Oh, That's man. a problem. That's not good. Like, yeah. We, that uh, I, I don't want to look forward to Clemson. Like I told you guys before we came on, I don't want to look forward four games. But if our idea is that we're just going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball, two things are going to happen. One of which is if you don't score on every possession, you're going to be behind the eight ball because Clemson's going to come out firing. And I know every time we play Navy, I'm sure you guys think the same way. All we got to do is get up two scores because they don't have the offense to, to come back because they run the clock and they don't get enough possessions. That's what's going to happen to Notre Dame if we don't figure out how to throw the ball. Even on completions, forget yards per attempt. Yards per completion books at like 12. Like, come on. We're, we're, not, we're not some also-ran college football team. We're Notre Dame football. It's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, that's an excellent not point. Okay. And, and uh, you know, I just double-checked myself here. Through the first four games, you know, Ian Book – three touchdown passes and one interception. And I think that that only one interception, I don't think it was a bad one. I'm fairly certain it was basically it, it like bounced off a receiver's hands and, and tipped into somebody's uh, into the defender. If I, I remember correctly, I think you're right. Yeah. So, uh, so Ian does a, an incredible job, all things considered of protecting the ball. And, and as we mentioned, you know, expect what you, what you're going to get out of the guy at this point as a fifth fifth year senior third year starter he's not going to be a Heisman candidate uh even though there was some chatter at the beginning of the year um you know he's a game manager and that's okay and and that's what we we need so to speak but we also need a guy to step up and fill the role and you, you just can't be afraid to throw an interception you know you have to go up and just get that ball down the field and and yeah you don't have you, in recent years you lost Chase Claypool you lost Miles Boykin you know X St. Brown is you know he wasn't on the team while while uh while Bookie was there but you know we we don't have that really marquee guy currently on the roster and that's okay you know there's plenty of teams around college football that have three star wide receivers two star wide receivers if you look at like i don't know Iowa State or Washington State or Mississippi State and and they're able to get production through the passing game because they have guys that are not afraid to go out there and just sling the rock. And if you throw a pick, it, it happens. It happens, Ian. Like at a, at a certain point, you have to stop dancing around and you have to just trust your guys who by all means are all four-star guys. They're all talented. They're all big bodies by and large on this offensive side of the football. You have to just throw a 50-50 ball up. And if it gets picked, it gets picked. But you have to keep the defense honest because when they start uh, you know, stacking the box – and and we become predictable. That's when you saw a couple of corner blitzes coming off that were, were putting added pressure. And you know to 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 blitz a corner against a run a quarterback, you are basically saying we do not respect your ability to go over the top. 
because at that point you're saying, oh, we're, we're going to forfeit you, you going over the top. We're going to anticipate you just throwing short. We're going to fill, you know, we're going to blitz the corner. The linebacker is going to pick him up because we know you're going to throw a slant right at, at a certain point. So you, you have to keep the, the defense honest, let them know, okay, you know, if you want to bring heat, that's fine. I'm going to get one out there, you know, 20, 30 yards downfield and we're going to see what happens. And maybe it's incomplete. Maybe it's picked off. But to give them that, the, the idea of a threat is coming, I think that would be massive. And, and Mike, did you have a point to make real quick? Well, I was just going to say, let me ask you guys a question. I want both to answer. Saturday night, Florida State was beating North Carolina 31 to 7. If that was Notre Dame, where would your confidence level be? That no, now, I understand North Carolina didn't come back and win, but they made it damn interesting when I didn't think they were going to. Do you think Ian Book and our receivers and everything would have been able to throw the ball around the way North Carolina did to even come close to making that comeback? And yeah. for me, I don't, I don't have that. I'm, I'm on the fence about it. Maybe, maybe not. I wouldn't be sitting here going, absolutely, let's watch it happen. Yeah, I mean, if I were to put an exact percentage on it, I'd say 60% chance at not coming back, 40% chance at coming back. So you know, 40% chance being down big is, is still decent. I, I have enough confidence in the program that eventually, you know, if, if we're down that much, we're just going to have to spread it out and, and you know, increase our chances of getting the ball downfield. So I wouldn't say that we were, would, be, would be dead to rights against an inferior opponent or a, an opponent on the same playing field as us when it's a, a top-level opponent. Those chances go down astronomically. So that's my thoughts on the matter. But, but Dylan, I'll defer to you now. Yeah, I think just by virtue of being down, you're going to get more passing calls, and then I would feel better about getting into the game. We saw in uh, the USF game, we saw in the Florida State game, we can move the ball offensively, right? We were we were looking pretty magical in that Florida State game um, going forward with, with this, some exceptions. So I'm not too worried about coming back into games. Um with the talent we have and with the quarterback we have, I think we can do it for sure. I think it's play calling. I think a lot of it is situational. And I think one of the reasons why the yardage is so low is because we've been winning these games and there's the offensive line has been so good with running the ball that we just, what's the point? You know, we're up 20. Let's just kill the clock, run the ball. Um, but something um, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, cause I had a point from uh, some stats here. Um, who do you think, because I think part of it is a personnel issue, like you guys mentioned, who are your top three receivers? Like if, if you were to, you were the coach and you're starting three of them out there, who are you picking? Uh, I guess I'll start. Uh, to your point, I, I wrote down that, like, who is to blame? Is it the O-line? Is it the wide receivers? Is it book? And I was going to mention, and this fits right in perfectly, if – I, there's so many passing downs where it was you had to pass. And, you know, yeah, you see Book scrambling. And in a few occasions, he did tuck it too early or whatever. But there were plenty of obvious, hey, we're, our receivers aren't getting open. So what is it going to take for Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, et cetera, to get on the field? But to answer your question, Dylan, top three, it, well, Lindsey, but apparently he had a, some sort of hamstring thing. But Lindsey's definitely my number one. I, he needs to be on the field. He can change the game. I don't care if his route running isn't precise. It, look, look at Will Fuller in the NFL. I mean, he was a slightly better route runner, but speed kills. It's just facts. Uh, after that, uh, McKinley just fell off uh, any type of um, 
momentum he had going by dropping every ball that Chase Claypool caught last year. Like, you got to come down with those, dude. Um, Kevin Austin would be two. And then I don't know if there's a third. That's the problem. Oh, that's that's right. exactly my point, right? And and I think that's what, Steve, <laughs> you were going to say as well, right? Lindsey and, and Austin? Yeah, at the very least, you have Lindsey and Austin out there. And then you uh, mix up this, you know, whether it's it's pushing one of those guys into the slot when you get Javon onto the field or or I would have Swarnick, uh, honestly, in, in the slot as well. And no, then Lawrence. That's, that, that's fine. Um, I, I'm sorry. I didn't want to make it into a deep discussion about no, that. No, I please. just wanted yes, to... Yes. Basically, affirm that we all had basically Lindsey and Kevin Austin as our top two receivers. And this is a tweet, and I know you guys saw it from Pete Sampson, who actually went through the numbers and found out how many snaps each receiver played. Javon McKinley, that. 59 snaps. Ben uh, Skornik, Skor- I, I, I 45 snaps. Avery Davis, 22 snaps. Kevin Austin, 22 snaps. And then Lindsey and Joe Wilkins had two snaps each. There's the problem. Your best players aren't on the field. And I uh, apparently Lindsay did have something wrong, uh, a tweak. But there's no reason Kevin Austin shouldn't be getting 50 snaps a game. Yeah, I don't know why McKinley he should definitely be out there. And a very average receiver from Northwestern is, um, <laughs> is, is getting those snaps. And I think that's part of it, right? Part of it is we're not getting open. Uh, part of it was play calling. I mean, we were saying in the group chat um, and just tweeting it with each other, how many times in the fourth quarter was there either one safety or no safety on Louisville's defense? They were blitzing, and that's why they that's why Book had so many sacks, right? They were committing men. The box was stacked. That's why we only averaged a few yards per run. But the receiving options were there, and they just weren't throwing it. They wouldn't call a play-action pass. They would not call anything. You need to stretch the defense, and especially when it's a single high safety or if the safety has come, both safeties are in on the box, right? Like, you got to go over the top with with some of the speed we do have, and I think that's part of the problem, right? That that is why the production just hasn't been there and was so bad in that game. For sure, and if if there's ever one safety or zero safeties, a hundred percent of the time you have to throw a fifty fifty ball down the sideline. That's it. That I mean, you have a speedster on one side that can run a four two. On the other side, you have a guy that's six foot three, six foot four. You know, he's not Chase Claypool. He's not going to go up and grab every ball. But that's why it's called a 50-50 ball, because it's not a 100% ball. It's give your guy a chance. And when a, when a cornerback has his, his back turned to him and he has no safety help, I like our odds. And the thing I found interesting, uh, the balls Kevin Austin caught, did he or did he not look healthy and capable of running a full route tree, et cetera, et cetera? So to your point, Dylan, Pete Sampson also threw a little caveat in there with how many passing plays those guys ran. Because having McKinley and Skoronek as the most uh, plays played isn't in itself completely shocking because they are our best blockers. That's been established. They're big, they can block, and our offense is designed behind the run. Okay, fine. Put them out there. They're going to be out there for a lot of plays. But when you look at the passing plays, they were still out there for most of the passing plays. And that's where it gets a little, okay, hold on. I get that they can block, but you have better receiving options on your team. And that's why I ask what needs to happen for, and we're not at practices, obviously, but when does Jordan Johnson get an opportunity to see the field, this five-star receiver? When does, I don't know if, I think he's a four-star. Watts, four-star? 
Yeah. Star. When does he get an opportunity? I, and I wonder okay, if they're maybe, trying to save a, a freshman season, like a redshirt season. Wait, there, there's no. Dude, that's the thing. There's no redshirt season this year. Every, our right. entire team could come back next year if they choose to do so because of this COVID stuff. We could have the whole te- same team next year. We could have book could be back. Everybody, whole lot, uh, O line, everybody. So Please, my thing is, if you put them put out that, there, don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But like, why not? Let's see what they can or can't do. Okay, so that if they make a mistake or whatever, like Johnson did give us one chance and got a 15 yard uh, unsportsmanlike. Okay, that wasn't great. But if the guy's got talent, I mean, we got to do something. Like it. What's, we why, are we playing, standard, right? <laughs> why are we playing Michael Mayer but not Jordan Johnson? And that's well, not a dig on Mayer. I mean, he's fantastic. But you put Johnson in those same situations. you telling me he couldn't have a good that, freshman season? That's the point. You're not, it's not even, you're not even giving them the opportunity to do great or do bad. You're trotting the same stuff out there every week, and it's – and to compound upon that, it's not like you're getting top line production from the seniors and the leaders. You know, it, it'd be one thing if if we have Javon going out there averaging seventy five to one hundred a week. By all means, I would absolutely love to see that, and I think I literally think that Javon actually has the talent to do that. Um, but the numbers aren't there, the production isn't there. You got to shake it up and let every single guy know that you can't take a down off because I don't care if you're a fifth year senior or a true freshman. The guy who's going to get the job done is the guy who's going to get it done. And and you got to recycle and try every single guy on the roster. Joe Wilkins, the only game that I've really seen him produce first game against Duke four catches. He, and he was absolutely pivotal. He had, I think at least two, possibly three huge third down catches, keeping us alive in that game. You know, there's nothing wrong with putting Joe Wilkins in. Like, come on. Like we got basically, I think what we're all getting at is, we need to shake it up and we need to make, we need to move forward, uh, you know, as, as a program and, and start to realize that, you know, this, uh, the, you know, the dink and dunk isn't, isn't going to work. Uh, it, it will, you know, no. to a degree on from one drive to a next, but long-term, you know, every single, uh, every single drive, it's just not happening. It, it feels like a, um, which Notre Dame has been this way too long play not to lose versus play to win. And that, that, to be elite, to be where Clemson and Alabama are, you can't play not to lose. That's that's not elite football. That might be winning most of your games football, but it's not elite football. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. And with that said, should we maybe get into the game? Um, <laughs> recap a little bit. I know we had a, an excellent conversation there on on some of the nuanced stuff, but just like just the game itself, right, was bizarre that we didn't uh, we didn't put them away. But and like you said, and like the podcast tweeted, at no point did I feel like we were going to lose that game, even when we, it was a five point game, and you know Louisville scores on their last possession, and you know we're all of a sudden needing to to, to score to win the game. Um, and the reason for that too is I think there's validity to it. I think this game was not nearly as close as people think. Um, and I know people, it feels like people just look at the scoreline sometime and then just judge that's how the game's going. Uh, you got to understand there's a lot of under, underlying things going on in the football game. And that's why Notre Dame, um, at, at the when everything was said and done, uh, had a 97.6 win probability. So after everything was done, when you look back on it and run like the simulations of, well, how often would you win? Notre Dame still won 97% of the time. That is very like a blowout. But the score was tight. And the reason for that is... We couldn't convert in the red zone. We had, what, four trips and scored one touchdown. Uh, we had a fake field goal, which was just mind-blowingly 
Oh, I like the idea to go for it, but why are you running it for 25 yards? I don't get it. Um, real, real quick, uh, I get that our punter holder was a high school quarterback. Okay, he's got some athleticism. Maybe have him throw the ball if he was a quarterback from that distance. Mm-hmm. I understand we only need to get to the four for the first down, but still, you're asking him to run about 20 yards. It, it just And it's not a punt. The whole 11 guys are on the line trying to – Stuff the ball back down your throat. What? Uh, it's just ugh. it gives me the chills. Thing. Yeah, it was brutal. But those are missed opportunities, right? This, like this game, could have been twenty-eight to seven if you score. And I know if and buts and whatever, it wasn't. But we did control most of the game, right? And just some quick top line stats: first downs, twenty-four to thirteen for Notre Dame. That's not a close game, right? Um, we had a 50, above 50% third down conversion rate, which was actually quite awesome and an improvement from last week. So that's something to always keep an eye on. But we averaged 100 more yards. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we were in their end more than they were in ours. So, yeah, the score was bad. We didn't play particularly good. But we were better. Like, we were comfortably better than Louisville. We were controlling that game. Our, our time of possession was perhaps 10 minutes more, something ridiculous like that. Um um, one more thing I want to get into, too, and this is something we try to talk about, about how great our run game is. Even with the best offensive line in the country, you cannot expect to be averaging over eight yards a carry, right? That's not sustainable, and this is why you still have to be a pass-first offense, right? Because that's where the efficiency is, unless they can't stop your run game. You have to be nuanced with it. But just to give you an example, we don't have the EPA stats yet from uh, Notre Dame Analytics, but... Notre Dame was averaging 4.7 yards per rush. Last week it was 8.4. How do you stop that? Well, it's putting people in the box. It's playing better teams. It's scheme, right? You cannot expect to just pound the ball like you did against Florida State and USF every week. It's just not possibly sustainable, which is why there's such a need to have Ian Book play and to throw the ball and to get people open and to, to stretch the field. And Book, like you said earlier, Steve, he didn't have necessarily the worst game in the world. I mean, he did look sketchy early in the game. Um, it looked like people were jumping his roots. He was telegraphing. Something was going on. Uh, but his QBR for the whole game was 64.8. Not great, but, I mean, think about it. We're, we're hoping he gets into the high 70s. Um, so it was a below what we wanted performance. But it wasn't like Book is the whole reason here. There was a lot going on. So, you know, Michael, I'll let you take it away there. Well, uh, talking about the run game, 4.7 isn't bad. Uh, Kyron and Tyree combined for 174 yards. That's good. That's great. That's wonderful. And, you know, we're sitting here, oh, the receivers, this and that. Uh, there were two plays. M- Michael Mayer should have had two touchdowns yesterday. How Book overthrew him, I don't know, up the seam. And then the ball at the sideline that almost got picked. If Book just throws that ball instead of floating it, Mayer walks in for a touchdown. But I, Book saves the lasers for the guy who's five yards away from him. Yeah. <laughs> Throws a rocket at his face. But it, it's just little things like that where that was a the mayor pass where you overthrew him. Perfect play design. You got to hit that guy. And that, that if he caught it, it would have reminded me of when Kyle Rudolph would just run up the seam every almost every game. And then up the side, you, you just got to put it on him. Uh, but the, to expect eight yards a game or eight yards of carry every game is not realistic. 4.7 to 5 is realistic. And it would be nice to get to maybe 6. But you can't be mad when uh, Williams and Tyree went for 174. That was not the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the issue is that you keep going to it, right? So 4.7 is fine yeah. if you're running it 15 times a game. When you're running it 
and not throwing it, that's when I get just a problem because you get more yards when you throw the ball. It's just more efficient. So I'm happy with 4.7. We ran the ball fine. But the only thing I'm getting is we're not going to average over eight a game like we did against FSU. That's just as good as offensive line is. We're not going to do that. And if we go into Clemson thinking, hell, we're going to average four and a half yards per carry and we're going to win this football game. It's going to be more like three and a half to three if we're lucky. If we're lucky. And even if it was four, like you're not going to be able to compete with Clemson's offense if you're running Navy style offense. It's just like you said, Michael. So I didn't mean to make it seem like the running backs were were poor by any means or the offensive line didn't perform well. I just think that um, those numbers should be suggestive. Well, hold on. We maybe shouldn't be. Uh, a, a run the ball down your throat three out of every four downs. He, he, this, is, this is our offense. You ready for this? Our only touchdown came on a broken play. That's how well-designed our offense is running yesterday. I mean, come on. Yeah. Our, we scored a touchdown, fantastic, and it was on a broken play, which, by the way, give Book credit for ridiculous athleticism to get the ball in the end zone. But still, we well, can't be scoring on broken plays. That, that's Book's benefit that he's never quite i think mastered in the big moments against big teams yet is using his legs and uh, if you remember i want to bring this up when we talk about clemson for clemson week because i actually see a lot of parallels with the 2018 michigan game but that's what brandon wimbush broke michigan's back with were all those big runs for first down we didn't expect it and i don't want to get ahead of ourselves and talk about clemson yet but that's where book can be useful right is those broken plays he's got that ability right so uh, it's funny, like you said, our only score was on a broken play, which goes to show how disorganized the offense was. Um, but, you know, there is some benefit to Bookie still, I think, is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, and and to make a quick point, um, Book did throw a touchdown pass. It's just his receiver didn't get his foot down. Right. So he that was that was one of the times we actually did get, you know, stretch the field. We did get a nice, uh, you know, basically corner pocket in, in the end zone on a flag route to uh, to McKinley. And it was a pretty damn good pass. I mean, it's about as good of a pass as you're going to get. So make no mistake, Ian definitely has the talent there at, at certain pockets of the game. Um, it just, you know, it ended up being a little bit unlucky. He, you know, his his foot was, you know, six inches out of bounds, not even wasn't probably it, less. Wasn't it Austin? I thought the yeah. pass was Austin. Was yeah, it Austin? Yeah, it was Austin. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was, it was an athletic. That, that talks more to why, why is that dude not on the field more? Yeah. Like, I mean, if the field is six inches wider, he's, that's a touchdown. And McKinley, who is bigger than the, the DB on the the two was the two point conversion, which that was a terrible call as well. You you got to come down with that, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, for sure. I hate those. I hate those back shoulder throws. They're just they're not good passing plays. Um, it's, but yeah, it's good uh, when you McKinley have Chase Claypool. Or I was gonna say if you, if you got Claypool, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I Michael Floyd from 2007 2008, him and Jimmy Clausen, that was just a, a, the staple of that offense, and he, they were just they were impeccable at it. And I I wish we had that. We obviously don't. So uh, Dylan, I, sorry I interrupted you there. No, no, it's all right. Bring it up some ghosts. Um, if I if I can, I think. You know, because we have a guest this week will be a little longer, and I think nobody will complain about that, none of our listeners, because more content is always good. Um, so I, I just move on a little bit. I wanted to get in the Twitter audience. Um, so we always send out a poll and ask for questions, and uh, and we bring it on the pod, right, because we, we're looking for these interactions. We're happy to have you. So the poll we ran was, do you think yesterday's game was a one-off performance, or do you think it's a sign of things to come? Uh, it's a 60-40 split, so 60% of you think it's a one-off. 
Uh, 40% of you think it's a sign of things to come. And before I get into the, the question, I just want to let you guys ask you guys, uh, who, what would you vote there? What do you think? Um, what do you think with regards to this question? So you might have seen, uh, I think you retweeted what I said. I said that I want to say it's a one-off, and I feel like it is, but everything we've said for the last 40 minutes have kind of, unless something changes offensively to make a sparkler into an actual firework, it might be a sign of things to come because that was the easy part of our schedule. And I realize there's really only... Pitt is always a, a little thorn in our side, but we got Clemson. And regardless of what happened last night, North Carolina is still a pretty decent football team. Those are the games in front of us. And I'm sorry if we bust out some of the junk we put on display the first four weeks. It's going to be a sign of things to come. So everything that happens, in a, especially in sports, life in general, but is an opportunity to learn from a mistake and get better and look back and review what you need to change or otherwise. And I feel like Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese better be having very similar conversations to what we're having today. We've got to be more explosive or it is going to be a sign of things to come. But I do think it's closer to a one-off than it is a sign of things to come. Yeah, uh, that, that's a good analysis. Um, I, I definitely think that this was more of a one-off. We, t- we talked about this briefly pre-podcast, which is – you know, Notre Dame is, is always good for one stinker a year. Um, you know, I don't want to name all the games and all the teams, it, you know, <laughs> over the past couple of years, but every, every Mostly true blue fan. Yeah. Mostly and, just Pitt. Just yeah. Pitt every year. <laughs> it's it's usually Pitt. Pitt, but then there's a couple of other stinkers that have been, that have been uh, sprinkled in there along right. the way. Uh, some that we've come out victorious, but too tight for comfort, and some that we've dropped in catastrophic form but at the end of the day you know Notre Dame they're always good for one a year so it I'm I'm going to be hopeful that this is just that one time you know not the greatest conditions down on the field um you know the the team has been even at the very first uh you know very first kick uh, Mike Tirico said you know this stadium seems a little bit quiet seems a little bit you know no one really really seems pumped up today there's kind of an eerie feel to the air so it's almost like he predicted it and as soon as he said that I said you know here comes the stinker I just know it so hopefully this is this is the one that we can pull past uh and just leave leave behind as we move forward I still think there's so many great components to the offense um that we've been in in individual instances whether it's on a quarter by quarter or drive by drive basis that we can you know build and expound upon going forward and I'm I'm confident that we will be you know coach Kelly is great I I'm I'm confident in, in coach Tom Reese Hopefully he uh, you know, pulls back a little bit and lets Ian kind of let, do his thing and take some more chances. And maybe the, maybe it's an Ian thing. Maybe it's a Coach Reese thing. Maybe it's both. Who knows? But uh, I, I think that we're going to be okay in the long term. But being okay in the long term against a regular ACC, ACC schedule is, is different than uh, the, the leader of the ACC. And, and I, I, I think we all know what that means. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a one-off too, mostly because you know you look at the the win probability was still in the high 90s. Uh, it's not like it was um, a back and forth game where we scraped through it, right? It was we we did control most of the game, even though it was inefficient and in that we failed to uh, to really move the ball effectively. Um, I also think, you know, we played three other games fairly well. I know the Duke game was frustrating, but I mean USF was an absolute 
masterpiece. Um, FSU was really good, and FSU is going to look a lot better too as as the season goes on. So I think we have enough data there to say I, I don't think we're going to be struggling with the ACC other than you know probably this game. Um, so I think it's a one-off performance, but it could be a sign of things to come if things aren't fixed. And I think that's where you really hit the hit the nail on the hammer. Hit the hammer on the nail, um, Michael. Um, but we also threw out a question, and we promised to put the best responses onto the podcast. So Notre Dame's remaining schedule is Pitt, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Boston College, UNC, Syracuse, and Wake Forest. Um, I want to know what you guys think the record in those seven games will be, specifically the people who voted sign of things to come. Um, and I'll just read through some of the responses here real quick. Um, at Marvel Trooper, in quotations, with that schedule, I don't see how they are not in the playoff. Lou Holtz, probably. thought that was quite <laughs> funny because you know how Lou is. Um, Steve Quinton, at Steve Quinton. He's got a Canadian flag in his name, so I had to, had to pick him out. Uh, a one-off. I think they will roll teams that they should roll. Wake, Hughes, Boston College, Georgia Tech. Don't think they will beat Clemson, and the other games should be close games. Six to one is, uh, is his prediction. Um, Gary Roos said seven and zero. He thinks we're going to run the table. He said nobody outside Clemson has as much talent. I also think if they commit to the run game against Clemson on a cold November night, they can limit the amount of possessions Clemson gets by eating up clock. And Clemson's run defense isn't their big strength. I think there's some truth to that too. I like the uh, I like the optimism there. But Michael, I'll let you give us your thoughts on that question. Yeah, just uh, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's like when we play Navy. I already know if you you get up, you know, seventeen twenty points, the game's pretty much over because their their offense is designed to limit possessions, and in turn, guess who else's you possessions you limit your own. So if we're running the ball but we're not scoring, we're getting field. Or Brian Kelly calls them goals, not field goals, just goals like soccer. Uh, you're going to limit your own possessions. And I love, I love that we're struggling mightily at the half. And then first thing out of the box for NBC, Hey, Clemson's up 52 to seven at the half. Oh, well, that's fantastic. So <laughs> just putting those two together as nice as it is to have the running game. It, it makes sense in theory, but every, again, everything we've talked about, it's, you've got to expand that passing game or you're going to limit your own possessions and Clemson's firework offense is going to put points on the board, and now you don't have any time to get back in the game. For sure. I, I think uh, if we go down 14 to Clemson, game's over. If we're down 10, I, th- I think we still have a fighting chance. But if you're down 14, it's it. It's over. Um, I, if you asked me last week, I would have said 7-0 and um, with a medium degree of confidence. And now I could say fairly confidently 6-1. and so um, I, I thought we had a fighting chance uh, against Clemson, and I still think we do, make no mistake about it. And, and we'll get into that the more we get it closer to that week. Uh, but a, as it stands now, nothing is indicative uh, that we have the, the it factor to make sure that not only can we uh, you know, b- play with them, but also if, if things get a little bit away from us at, you know, from, from drive to drive, that we're going to be able to put it together in the second half and come back. So that's that's the thoughts as of now. Obviously, a lot can change, uh, but six and one is my preliminary thoughts. 
Now, if we go out and beat Pitt forty-two nothing, is that going to change your opinion? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's a week to week thing, malleable. right? It's it's a week to week thing. We tend to have short uh, attention spans and memories, um, and I think we could play awful and still play Clemson tight, right? It's a big game. It's in November. It's hyped up. You know, you know how Miami beat the doors off us a couple years ago. Yet we're awful. Any other game they played. That happens, right? I think we can we can definitely hang with Clemson. I don't like this transitive property thing too, right? Like, well, if Clemson beat Georgia Tech by 900 and we struggle with Louisville, there's no way we're going to hang with Clemson. Like, come on. It's not how football the, the, works, right? The transitive property is a, is a fan thing. It's, it's just – it's a way to justify your team's potential or whatever. It's, that's all it is. Like, you're right. You, yeah. It's not real. No, no. It's just it's you hear it and it's it's uh, you you want to keep everyone's head level, I think. I think after the game a lot of people just assumed that Clemson game is don't even show up, boys. We're uh, we're going to get embarrassed. Um which isn't the case in Notre Dame's history. Even when we've lost big games, they've tended to be close, right? Georgia both games. Um and I think not talking Alabama or the the semifinal there, but I I think we're going to be in store for a good game, but I I think we should uh Let's let's put Horseman and Juice together, um, just to okay. uh, just to to mush through this here. Um, so, Michael, I'll let you go first as the guest. Uh, just take it away. Whatever you're feeling, go with it. Okay, uh, I'll do the the Horseman and then the the Juice and my nuts after. So, uh, my four Horsemen going four to one. Um, well, real quick, I wanted to just put defense, 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 but I was like, well, that's that's not original. But uh, I, I went with Kyron Williams. Uh, the, the guy, even though our offense only scored 12 points, he just impresses me. Every week you're seeing something different and better from him. He, he clinched the game for us. I mean, he's a tough runner. He's a hard runner. He gets the job done. He's elusive. He, he's, a, he's a good running back. So I, I gave it to him. Number three was uh, I, we got to come up with a better nickname, though. Michael Mayer. He's not Whittle Kittle. He's not Baby Gronk. He, He's like he needs to come up with his own nickname, but that that guy just he should have had two touchdowns and just for an 18 year old freshman is just so impressive, so impressive. Uh, number two was the Joker, Jeremiah Wusa Karamoa, guys everywhere had uh, I think two tackles for loss, just uh, and that was huge because the one thing on our defense that seems to be a secret sauce or anti secret sauce we cannot stop running quarterbacks once they can start running we seem to have trouble. So having him on the field, uh, he's our fastest defender in, in the linebacking position, so that was huge. But then number one is that Clark Lee defense. Like, just every week, the only soft spot was that well-designed play by Louisville where we had two linebackers chasing their running back up the sideline, and it was a big pass. That was credit to Louisville on that one. That was a well-designed play. Uh, so, you know, it's just that – the defense comes to play every single week, and I love watching it. Now, the juice of my nuts moment goes back to my number three horseman, Michael Mayer. Are you kidding me? Stiff arm and a hurdle? <laughs> like, are you serious <laughs> with this kid? That's and I not it for a tight end. I, right? I turned to my fiance, and I'm like, hey, by the way, he's 18 years old. That's a freshman. We get him not just the rest of this year. We get him next year and the year after before he can even declare to go to the NFL. Are you kidding me? Now, if we can just get a quarterback that can hit him up the seam and on the sidelines, then, you know, <laughs> we, we got something. He's but that coming. guy, He's that guy is, way. oh, my God. Like, 
It, it, it was all like one motion. Stiff arm, get out of my way. I'm going to hurdle you. And keep my feet, by the way. <laughs> you, yeah, and he, he only went down because of the hurdle <laughs> and like the off-balanceness. Like, you can't take that kid down. And by the way, he liked our tweet, our gif of him. Um, he there liked it go. after the game. He went to the dressing room and gave us a good like. So shout out to Michael. If he ever wants to come on the show, <laughs> he's got a spot anytime. Same thing with uh, Tommy Tremble's uh, his mother liked a tweet we had about Tommy. So you guys are always welcome on the show. Absolutely. Um, yeah, my mine uh, will look extremely similar. And I think it's going to probably look similar for all of us because it was obvious that there was a lot of shortcomings. Uh, so very few guys stood out. Uh, I'm not going to get statistical in any manner. It's just strictly the the guys who came out and went out and did their job, which is kind of the, you know, uh, the, the horseman way. Um, Kyron Williams, what else is there to say about him? Great runner. And he's uh, right now carrying the team. So literally, he's carrying the team. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, just he's all over the field. Uh, he's really coming into his own. Almost, uh, almost like shades of Jalen Smith, just like sideline to sideline. He's there in every single play. Uh, very, he's just, he's a all over the place. Love the guy. And he, he absolutely crushes people when he catches them too in open field, which is great. Um, Kyle Hamilton, also another guy all over the place. Uh, he had a huge stop. I mean, I I said specifically, I tweeted out, you know, death taxes and a third down stop by Kyle Hamilton. I don't know why people still throw the ball at him. I, I, I don't even like, we could probably look up the numbers. Um, I don't think he's given up a reception all year. <laughs> it's like thrown his way. He's just so special. And we are so lucky of a program to have him and everyone should cherish every second we have of Kyle Hamilton while he's in this program before he declares, um, and is a future number one overall pick because he's trending in that direction. And then my last guy, uh, Clark Lay. I mean, uh, the defense in general, especially, you know, those two pr prior guys I mentioned were fantastic. Uh, and then, you know, Clark is just leading the way, you know, scheme wise and, and just coaching these guys up to be in the right spot at the right time, make the right calls. And then and, and the defense, there was one play where we got beat and that's pretty much it. Other than that, it was completely shut down. And that's why I had so much confidence. And I'm sure that's why most fans had so much confidence that we were going to win. But again, we were just annoyed at the process in doing so. And then the juice in my nuts moment was the exact moment that the clock struck zero because I knew that we had the win. And that was pretty much it. That was, that was the highlight of the day for me. <laughs> so Dylan, uh, if you wanted to share with us all of your guys and, and your moments, it's all you, sir. Anything to end that Big Ten football-style brutal, brutal game. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't pick a fourth horseman. Um, I <laughs> made it a personal stance not to give anyone on the offense a four horseman. They just Fair. The offense wasn't good enough to deserve it, although Michael Mayer <laughs> just does put juice in my nuts. He's going to be an excellent, excellent player. Um, Third, I went with Jonathan Dewar because I was really stretching for people to make it. He made his two kicks, and that is well above my expectations for him. So he should congrats. have made three. He should have made three. Or they could have just threw a play there. Um, but he went two for two, so that's what matters. Um, my, second, my second horseman is uh, Kyle Hamilton, uh, like you said. Um, past deflection, he was just fantastic. And my first one is Jeremiah Owusu-Kamora. Uh, he was on all of your list, too. I mean, he had two tackles for a loss. He's just an absolute animal out there. Um, and I wanted to bring in briefly, because it's really cool when we get to interact with people who are important, and uh, Dane Brugler, uh, the top media scout in the NFL, just the top guy. He should be working for an organization. Really, really good. I asked him two questions. 
uh, well, I let him know about Kyle Hamilton. I said, this is a kid you got to keep an eye on. And he said, oh, I know. He's like, that guy's going to be a freak to watch. Definitely looking forward to that. So expect Kyle Hamilton to be rated really well. And I asked him, where do you have the Joker? Um, and he said, preseason 32nd best prospect in the NFL's draft coming up. He's only helped himself. So we're looking at a first-round grade for uh, Jeremiah. Um, and I think that's really cool. So big shout-out to Dane Brugler for interacting with us. You guys should give him a follow. He does excellent, excellent draft analysis. Um, very good scout. So thanks to him for that. And um, my juice in the nuts moment was uh, the book touchdown. Um, we took the lead. That was it. It was like, yay, we can score again. And then that's my mild <laughs> juice in the nuts. It was yeah. not a great game, folks. <laughs> um and but, the thing uh, with the touchdown, it was a great moment. And then we go for two, and you totally killed the moment by miss- effing up the two-point conversion when you didn't need a two-point conversion. Yeah, so. I, that's fair. Uh, at least at least we scored is kind of how I felt. <laughs> like, yay. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Man. Like, not another field goal. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah. I had us to cover, and it ruined all of my bets. So very, very mad. Um Let's talk about uh, college football in general, if you guys uh, have nothing else to say um, yeah. on this matter. If we can bury this goddamn yep, game. Yeah, let's put it in the us. pass and let's roll, baby. It's, it, it's time to look around. So, week seven college football, um, two things worth of note. North Carolina lost to Florida State. They made a ferocious comeback, but uh, we're down big in that game. I'm kind of a Florida State fan now for some reason. We were making fun of them all year. But um, I respect them after the game. I think Jordan Travis is a good quarterback. And uh, I like the uh, the Knowles Analytics account. They're pretty cool. Or that guy is pretty cool. Or that girl is pretty cool. I, I, I don't know the person well enough. Um, so they're, I, I kind of like Florida State now. And my goal is Florida State's going to run the table and make us look really good. So let's go Seminoles. Uh, another one is Alabama beat Georgia. Um, Kirby Smart. Kirby smarted it again. Uh, they were leading <laughs> Alabama. Going into halftime and just did nothing in the second half. Alabama is scary, but Alabama is beatable. Um, that that's pretty much it, I think. From uh, from what else happened, it was kind of a boring boring week of college football. Um, South Carolina beat Auburn. Oh yes. Also, how are we doing? You may be asking, uh, Steve. I've got some really, really good news for you, buddy. Let's go. <laughs> Steven. Oh, man. Good old, good old Steve. Went perfect. Four and oh on the week. And, and the best part is, he's now broken 500 on the year. He's 11 We're back and 10. in the class, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Steve is in it. Uh, I went three and one. I've now taken the lead at 15 and six. I am hitting over 71% of my picks. Uh, P wagon had a rough, rough week. He went one and three, uh, and Michael, you were hanging in there. You went two and two, uh, you're 500 on the year. Um, we're going to, it's a long season, boys. It's a long, long season. Lots of room, lots of time for everyone to come back. And we've so now got the it. data points that there's a ton of upsets and no team is safe. And that's what's, I think, uh, fueled my comeback the last two weeks in a row. Yeah, you're taking risks, buddy, and it's working out for you. So <laughs> let's go. Week eight, we'll blow through them here so we can get to the rest of the fun segments we have. North Carolina State is going to North Carolina. Uh, Florida State is going to Louisville. Iowa State is going to Oklahoma State. I forgot the Big 12 was even playing football. Um, South Carolina is going to LSU. And then Michigan is going to Minnesota to start 
the return of the Big Ten, and that will be college game day. So, uh, Michael, you are our esteemed guest tonight. <laughs> if you are ready, if you need some time to think about it, I can go to yeah. Steve. Uh, no, I, no. I try to give you guys enough time ahead of the podcast to pick, but uh, if you're ready, go ahead. Well, uh, I'm going to forget logic, reasoning, historical numbers, and just pick the teams I either like or don't like for whatever reason. Just re- reasoning is nonsensical. Um, go with North Carolina because when we beat them, I want it to look better than if they keep losing. Uh, I'm taking Louisville over Florida State because since 1993, I will never pick Florida State to win anything. <laughs> Iowa State over Oklahoma State because I want the Big 12 to completely cannibalize themselves. And Oklahoma State being ranked in the top 10 can't have them win any more games. Um, South Carolina, because they made me look stupid last week. I picked Auburn. <laughs> and, then, and then Minnesota, because, well, they're playing Michigan. And there's, that's obvious. Fair <laughs> enough. So, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to be going on. Uh, let's see. Okay. UNC versus NC State. I'm going to go with UNC. I think they, they need to bounce back. There's, they still have hopes quote unquote alive uh and and they're they're basically battling for their lives so they have something to play for they have something to live for nc state does not um i'm gonna go with florida state this uh this kid jordan whatever the heck his name is third string qb he's getting his shot he's shining played decent against notre dame played very well last week uh and he's he's getting his chance to prove himself and i think he's gonna roll with that momentum uh, Oklahoma State is going to win because Iowa State is abysmal. Uh, although they do have a couple of frisky games every once in a while, I think they, they already used their frisky game on Oklahoma. And then um, I'm going to go with LSU. And just because I, as much as I think that South Carolina has a great chance to compete in this game, so, uh, LSU at home, they have to win that game. They literally don't have a choice. They might get like disbanded as a program if they lose this game. <laughs> um and then uh, I think I'm going to rock with Minnesota. Minnesota at home. Michigan, I'm pretty sure, has had a couple guys sit out the season from COVID. This is their first game of the season. You know, the, the whole Big Ten is in disarray right now. So uh, I think I'm going to go with the uh, the home dogs. Presu- I'm, pre- I'm assuming that they're home dogs. That's really annoying because I have all the same picks, and I'm considering <laughs> just switching to another pick here i'm you're going so, through and i'm like you're, you're, oh you're, please take picks are gonna make sense too but both <laughs> y'all's picks are actually gonna make some sense what is that <laughs> rookie mistake that. i need to continue the run i need to stay above 500 <laughs> all right i'll i'll go through it real quick maybe i can talk myself into taking someone else i like north carolina state i think they won me some money last week um but there's no way north carolina could afford to lose this game um after that tough one to florida state so i think they win um, Florida State, Louisville. I just liked what I saw from Florida State. I took Oklahoma State as well. Um, I like you, Mike. I'd rather Ohio State win or Iowa State win. Iowa, Ohio, they're the same thing, right? Um, yes. So, sure. <laughs> um, okay, State's gonna win. Um, I went LSU as well. Um, South Carolina really impressed me um, the last couple weeks, but LSU's not as bad as their record suggests. And then the big one, I was flip-flopping here. I was thinking, you know what? Michigan might be good, but we hate Michigan. And uh, Minnesota's actually graded higher in terms of uh, uh, SP+. Um, And they're also returning a uh, third-year starting quarterback. 
So I'm taking the Golden Gophers as well. So, Stephen, I've got the same. Uh, you're not too different from us, Michael. We know P-Wagon. The only difference is he took uh, South Carolina to beat LSU. So I well, think that's it. My, my takeaway is that I'm about to gain four wins on y'all. That's what I just learned. All right. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You took uh... – <laughs> I took Iowa State, South Carolina, and Louisville. Only common were right. North Carolina, Minnesota. Well, there you go. You're gonna you're gonna catch up with the uh, with it. me real soon. <laughs> um, so last week, someone suggested bringing back an old segment, and uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm just gonna let Steve take this one away. I'm gonna let him explain what the hell it is, and then we'll get into <laughs> it. So. Uh... Whether people agree with it or not, there is this caricature of Americans of being totally ignorant to international um, culture. Really? (laughs) (laughs) You don't think. um, (laughs) Or you don't say, rather. But yeah, so, you know, uh, Dylan being our Canadian-based guy, we've, uh, because me and and P-Wagon over the last couple of years, starting from year one, uh, now we're we're moving into year three now. We've oftentimes had such stupid, ignorant questions because we just had no idea anything about kind of the inner workings of Canada. But we are learning, and this is a learning segment. So we are back on Ask a Canadian. We are going to our resident uh, prime minister of Canada, which would be Dylan, and he's gonna we're we're gonna ask him some dumb questions, and he's going to explain to us how dumb we are by uh, highlighting the intricacies of his great country. So, um, Dylan just recently was Canadian Thanksgiving. I need to know a lot. I, I, I wanted to ask last week, but I was like, you know what? I'll just, I'll defer. I'll punt to next week because it, it'll be good for the segment. So if you can give us a bunch of details about Canadian Thanksgiving, what was the, uh, the kind of the founding ideals about it? Why is it so early in the year and, and not when Americans have it and kind of what's, uh, the, the traditions, what do you eat? The whole nine. So I'm gonna disappoint you. Um, we, you've at, you guys have asked this before years ago, oh. and I didn't I didn't know then, and I don't know now where <laughs> it came from. Um, I thought maybe it was like a Commonwealth thing, but I don't think any of the other Commonwealth countries celebrate Thanksgiving. I think it's just a Canadian and American thing. Um, I I don't know if it's just because of the weather is nicer in October. I prefer it because you're not having all the turkey season too close together, right? Like. You know, you got Christmas, and then you guys have Thanksgiving late in November, so it's not much of a break. Is where you have it early October. Um, I don't know the history. I honestly am shamed for not knowing that. But it's a lot of the same kind of values there too, right? It's about family. It's about giving back, being grateful, uh, things like that. Um, oftentimes, there's an election around that time, so it's kind of like, hey, let's get together and talk about things. Um, but really. It's the same kind of food. We do turkey, we do stuffing, we do potatoes, um, you know, pumpkin pie. It, it's a good time. It, it's a lot like your Thanksgiving, I would imagine. Um, it's just in October. <laughs> so okay. I'm sorry for the anticlimactic answer there. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys have multiple, but we'll go with uh, Michael if, he, uh, if he's got one. Oh, uh, <laughs> I've got a few. Because uh, I, I don't know when I'll get this opportunity again. So just... You know, shoot the shot. Uh, well, the, the first one, and I don't know if this is still a thing, but I know it was. Why is milk sold in a bag? Ah, 
that's it's sold in the bag in parts of Canada. Um, that's so that's an Eastern Canada thing. Um, bagged milk, as we call it. Um, I don't know why it's done in a bag. You get three one liters of like bagged milk, um, and I grew up with it. And you know, you gotta have a thing that cuts the the bag, and then you just pour it out of its thing. Um, I prefer it. I find it fresher than cartoned milk. Um, but yeah, that, that's an Eastern Canadian thing. Uh, the reason I, I, I cannot imagine why there would be a specific reason other than that's just the way it was done. Um, but I'm glad you asked about that because that is a Canadian thing in some parts of uh, the country. That so is funny. Follow-up. <laughs> follow up. You got three bags. Is that because it's so highly likely one of those is going to tear on just something and you lose a bag? Like it's like two or backups? Um, I think it's like a, an alternative to um, two liter. It's like you get a little okay. more with the bag, so you know you can justify the the price increase. And uh, I don't think I've ever busted a bag. Like it's there, you gotta take scissors or something and cut a corner. Like it's it's not okay, the so it's thing strong. To it's, it's strong, it's strong okay. plastic. It's good oh. Canadian plastic. Oh, okay. So it's it's weird, you know, because across countries, across cultures, even you know, it's funny how the, you know words have one meaning in one culture and, and another meaning in a different culture. Because you guys call it bagged milk, but in America we call it Lena Dunham. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry that that's a that's a ricochet shot for the ages. <laughs> um, <laughs> my next uh, culturally ignorant question is that you know the united states we have independence day uh obviously you know red white blue americana apple pie the whole nine in france they have bastille day when they storm the bastille beginning the french revolution and whatnot and that's uh, obviously culturally important to them uh, i know that you guys do have canada day i don't know anything about it so if you can uh, beam with some pride for your country and put on for them please describe that to us well, it's the start of the free agency period in hockey. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's. Are you uh, serious? <laughs> it is that day, but that's not the reason oh, why it's Canada that's Day. Hilarious. It's so, it that would have been awesome. Yeah, they they put it on Canada Day. Um, that's uh, the day we officially became a country. So Canada's uh, confederation um, was uh, signed in the Constitution Act of 1867, uh, July 1st. So. That's just our birthday. That's the Canada's birthday. Just like July Fourth is, uh, you know, your day of independence. That's day of Canada becoming an actual country. So uh, that's what we celebrate three days before you. And it's the same kind of stuff like barbecue, music, lots. I of was going to ask any sort of traditions. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Lots of Canadian music being played on radio for once. Like Celine Dion. <laughs> no, I said Canadian. <laughs> music. Again, I'm I'm an ignorant idiot. So you're teaching. No, no, she is Canadian. It's just, you know, we don't claim her, I guess. Um, <laughs> Isn't Alanis Morissette Canadian also? Yes, yeah, she is. That's my girl, Jacob Little Pill. Isn't it ironic? Yeah, don't you, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's the importance of Canada today. Same kind of thing. We're 153 now in terms of years. Uh, we existed before that. We were just purely a British colony, and then uh, then we formed a country, so... What, what else do you guys asking, got? Like good questions that actually yeah. educate the listeners. I'm not going to educate anybody. Um, I got a two part question. First one. Okay. It's a kind of a yes or no. How like common and prominent are Royal Mounties? Like, are they just everywhere? Yeah. So, sorry, I got to get a charger or else this thing's going to die on me. Um, 
so the the Royal Mount the Royal Canadian Mountie Police, the RCMP, that's our that's our police. Um, the image you'll see of these big, stupid hats riding horses, a red. That's not too yeah. common. Um, you'll see that every now and then. It's like most. It's just a police officer. You know, he's got his protective vest and his blue little thing. So uh, have, have they graduated to like motorized vehicles? Yes, they have. They have oh man! Because it is. I want to uh, know if it was some sort of Canadian rite of passage to be like handcuffed, like backwards on the horse, and be, like <laughs> take I don't away. know what. I don't know what the <laughs> symbolism of the horse is. Like I've seen them before. You sometimes you'll see them walking around town, and you'll just like on their horse, and you'll just take a picture and be like, "Look at this idiot! Like, what is he doing on a horse?" Um, but uh, no, there's they're not too often that you actually see those. Um, so we're not a complete caricature, but they do exist. And it is worth noting, I got a lot of my great Canadian questions from the song Oh Canada by Five Iron Frenzy. So well, <laughs> they have the song about Canada. And I was like, let me grab some pieces of that. <laughs> what you got, Steve? That's pretty much all the questions I had was uh, the two that I, I pointed out today. Okay. Um, let's see. I've got, if, I've got one wait, more from this. Got one. I think I had one here. I'm trying to think. Well, you think and let uh, Michael ask. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, this is this is just a, a yes or no, real quick. Are moose crossings as common as deer crossings? And like we have them in the U.S., like you see moose crossings, is that a thing? Like by deer crossing, do you mean like beware of deer sign or like yeah, like specific? like on a on a on a rural road, you know, you'll see like a you know deer crossing. Like look out, watch there's yeah. gonna be deer. Is that there's a bunch of moose crossing signs? Yeah, okay. for sure. Um, okay. Lots of them, lots of moose, okay. um, especially where I grew sure. up, um, kind of woodsy. So you got to be careful on the highway. Uh, my friend's okay. dad actually hit a moose once. It was quite, Ooh, uh, oh, quite something. Yeah, those are big. Okay. Those are big boys. Okay. And the, oh, go ahead, Steve. No, no, please. Uh, you finish oh, yours because uh, mine will yeah. finish out the section because it's silly and Perfect. stupid. Uh, the, my last question is somewhat educational, mainly for me. Because I don't know, I hear it all the time. It's referenced quite often in comedy and otherwise. I don't know what it is. Please explain to me Tim Hortons. <laughs> hmm. uh, so, you know Dunkin' Donuts? Yes, I go there too frequently. So imagine if Dunkin' Donuts was like kind of part of who you are as a country for some reason. Um, <laughs> hey, America runs on Dunkin'. Don't even get it wrong. <laughs> I, know, I know Dunkin's pretty big in New England. For sure. Um, I don't yep. know if it's quite as big everywhere else, but Tim Hortons is this national chain of uh, mediocre coffee and some decent, <laughs> decent donuts, and you know you get some food there. It's just a, it's just a Canadian fast food chain. They are uh, there's a few of them in in the states, um, on the in Michigan on that side of the border in New England a bit, and they are abroad and anywhere there's an airport with in Canada or connecting to Canada, you should find a Tim Hortons. Um, it's just kind of, it's become this thing where they try to make it like this is part of who we are as Tim Hortons. And that's, it's kind of weird, but it is a popular coffee shop basically. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Thank you. And my final extremely. <laughs> oh, wait, before I should mention Tim Horton was a famous hockey player and he started this food chain. So it's called Tim Hortons named after the hockey player. Oh, that, so he's a person. That's, that's not all, just a random all name. In, all in on Canada with that one. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's actually going to transition beautifully into my last question here. Why was Taylor Hall too much of a bitch to sign with the Boston Bruins? <laughs> Yikes. Um, well, Taylor Hall was an oiler. That's my team. So 
Um, I think uh, from what I heard, the money wasn't there um, on one-year deals from other teams. It was Buffalo the only one. So he figured on a one-year contract, he can hit free agency after COVID and, and get a fair market value. So I'm sorry to ruin your silly question he, with a serious he answer. He did say that he wanted to win a championship. And Boston... He did, and I, I think he meant next year. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because like I don't understand how you you talk up how you're willing to take a short term deal and take less money if you're going to have a chance to compete for a championship. Say that you're interested in the Bruins and then land in in Buffalo. It's just the square, you know, this this the square peg doesn't fit into the circular hole there. Well, clearly, Steve, he wanted to go to a city with lots of culture and great weather. So <laughs> yeah, Buffalo wings and despair. <laughs> Sorry to our Buffalo listeners. I just had to. <laughs> All right. Canada's not as cold as you think, by the way. That's something I got to get out there. It's I, I literally just think that it's just a frozen tundra. Like nine months out of the year. I'm, I'm actually pretty sure like Wisconsin gets colder. I believe it. <laughs> okay. Come, so Come down to South Texas. It was 89 oh, degrees yeah. today. It was fantastic. Yeah. See, that's too much. I couldn't imagine doing like a Texas summer. I would, I would boil. Um, yeah. We do still have Pitt to get through. If you guys uh, are are yeah, up for it, we can buzz through in a couple minutes. Yeah, for sure. Because that is kind of what the podcast was for. Um, <laughs> so I like this. This was fun. Uh, we should maybe look into bringing back this segment more often because uh, it's educational. Uh, so let's get into the Pitt Panthers. They are three and three. They won their first three games and lost their last three games. Um, they beat Louisville twenty three twenty. So that should give you an idea of where they are as a caliber of team. They've had some rough losses. They lost to North Carolina State by one in a heartbreaker, and they lost to Boston College by one, and then they got beat by Miami by, Miami by two scores. Um, so they're a decent team. Um, if you just take a look at uh, SP+, Plus, uh, Bill Connolly on Twitter does it uh, for ESPN. Notre Dame is seventh still in the country. The offense only slid a few spots. We're the 13th-ranked offense, the 8th-ranked defense. Pitt, on the other hand, is the 38th team in the country, 90th offense, 17th defense. And that's something you see in the, in the EPA numbers, too, is that Pitt is a really good defensive team. So that could be a little worrying for, for our struggling offense. We average 33 points per game, and we give up 11. They average 29 points a game and, and uh, let up 20. So um, before I get your quick thoughts on the game, quarterbacks are always important. Ian Book, QBR 69.9. Nice. nice. Excellent number. Uh, that's 23rd in the country. Kenny Pickett is the quarterback for Pitt. I feel like I know that name, so maybe he's been there for a while. Uh, he's 62.641 st in the country. So this is a somewhat capable quarterback, decent with his legs, but mostly uh, a pro-style passer. So FPI gives Notre Dame a 78.9% chance of winning. And from there, I will let you guys take it away. What, before we do, uh, I believe Pickett was out last week with an injury. Do we have any sort of update on that? Nope, I assumed he was still there. I'll look it up now and uh my sir. Well, I that's I didn't realize Pickett was out either. Um I I don't know. They they just they're so tough and I'm just you look at the games they've played this year and they're proving to be tough again. I mean uh one point loss to North Carolina State, three point win against Louisville, uh one point loss against Boston College. And yeah, they got uh they lost 31-19 in Miami, but I I would I feel like I would put us in Miami's category 
and we should be better. But I've seen a few Miami games now. Uh, they they have a explosive offense. Derrick King can can play. So I feel like we we might be in that you know where Louisville was. You know that one possession game at the end of the day. Uh, Kenny Pickett can if he's playing can play. He's already thrown for thirteen hundred yards this year. He's doubled up Ian Book. <laughs> uh, it's it's pit, man. It's tough. Every it doesn't matter. Miles Boykin at the end of the game to save our season in 2018. Um, what, what triple overtime in 2012? I mean, you know what? Maybe we need one of those games because that signifies we're going to go undefeated. I don't know. I feel like maybe if we blow pit out, it won't be a good omen for the rest of the season. Triple but, triple overtime, missed field goal. You know? Yeah, all of it. Yeah, but what what I if I had to make a, you know, I. We're gonna win. I do believe that. I don't think it's it's this Notre Dame team outside of the Clemson, the ACC, has the most talent on any roster. And like Steve said, as far as the Horsemen, if you just do your job, we're gonna win. By how much? That's debatable. And then you factor in just for whatever reason the pit factor. You know, uh, who knows? And this is our first road game, correct? We're going to pit. Right, first round. Yeah, so that's and Pitt that's plays this tight, man. It's a historic. It's a historically yeah. tight game for Notre Dame, and they're actually a quasi historic program. I know we don't think of Pitt when we think of big schools, and and they're not anymore. But they claim like nine national championships, and I mean like one or two of them is legitimate. So you know, take that with a grain of salt. But they've been around for a while. They're they're an old school team. They're really kind of a Big Ten team. Uh, that's the kind of the style they play. It's always. A, at least has reminded me of, of a Big Ten team. Um, so so Pitt's fun, but Pitt's never fun to play, if, if that makes sense, because it's just a struggle. I mean, you should know, Steve. I mean, they play in, uh, in your Steelers' backyard, don't they? They do indeed. Um, Steelers, by the way, 5-0. and I have yet to see this fall any of my football teams lose. So let's hope we continue that trend, and I think we do. I mean, I'm going to be pretty short and sweet with this. We've gone pretty long. Uh, appreciate you guys listening all the way to the end. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be some scoregami. Um, Notre Dame wins 31, 13. What I, I, I don't, I think that we're pretty much all set on, on in that regard. You know, defense is fantastic offense. I think we're going to move on, learn the lessons. I would like to see a lot more screens, at least three to four Q, uh, running back screens would be great. Um, but that's just on my wish list more so than anything, what to look out for. Assuming that Pickett is back. He, he was out this past week with an ankle injury. Uh, Pat Narduzzi said he was a little bit banged up, but he should be back. Uh, cause he, they said he was getting stronger and better. Uh, Kenny Pickett heading into this past college football Saturday. So obviously the numbers would have changed, but he was leading the NCAA. He was the number one passing the NCAA of completions on passes 20 plus yards downfield. He has 16. So I think that this is going to be awesome to, to see it. This is a team that wants to spread it out against us. They want to get down the field. They want to throw that ball down the seams, down the sidelines. So um, Kyle's going to be put to the test. So is Sean Crawford, you know, these corners are going to get put to the test. They're, they're definitely going to try to, to spread us out and get the ball downfield. And I think how we respond to this game and, and that style of play is going to be really indicative of some, some teams coming up, which, uh, again, we, we know the obvious one. So that's, that's my go-to look, but I, I think the Irish win handedly. 
Yeah, I th- so usually we pick this as the trap game. Um, Pitt's always a tough one. I would usually pick this one to be the bogey game. But given how we performed this last week, um, I think we're actually going to be really, really amped up for the next one. I think uh, we're going to play a lot better, and I think the game plan and the coaching will be better. Um, but I, I, again, I don't think we're going to hang 40 or anything like that because Pitt is a good defense. I, I got to reconcile those two things where we're going to play better, but we're playing a really good defense. So I'm going uh, 31-10 Irish. Um, that's still three scores. That's still a blowout. That's still something to be happy with. The line, by the way, is Notre Dame 9.5. So that's that's what Vegas is thinking of us right now. Not too thrilled with the way we played. Pitt's pretty good. That could be a that could be a tough one, but I think I think we'll handle them. I think um, we might struggle with, um, you know, we're not going to shut them out. I think their their offense will find ways to extend plays, but for the most part, our defense should control this game, and I think we'll be more efficient when we're down in the end zone, and uh, and that's going to result in touchdowns. Mike, I just I I didn't give a, a score prediction. Um, I I'm going twenty seven thirteen. I I don't know. I just I maybe I'm underselling it in terms of like oh we're gonna fix it we're gonna come back but um, Pitt's defense is good. We have a history of being a, they're a thorn in our side. So I'm, I'm gonna say 27-13. The defense is gonna show up to play like it does every week, and 13 might be overshooting it. It, it might be 27-10 or less. But uh, at Notre Dame at nine and a half, I think we cover that. I think we cover that. So, well, that's well said. I think uh, I think we did a pretty good job here. Uh, so I think we could kind of start wrapping it up here. Um, we uh, we post thanks to Steve's hard work, uh, good gifts throughout the game of, of top plays, and they get shared a lot. Um, and and we, all we ask uh, for you guys is just to if you're going to tweet it yourself instead of giving us a retweet or something, just uh, just tag us, just give us credit. Um, that, that happened this week with uh, with Barstool Irish just used our gift. And uh, and we don't mind it. We just we want you guys to to enjoy our content, but to credit it. And uh, so that's something important. Um, if you see, just to uh, we're we're glad for you to share it, but just just give us a good old at and uh, and Twitter engagement. Um, we're on pace right now for about 680 followers come November 1st. We want to get to 700. So share it. Let your friends know. Let their friends know. Let your dog know. If your dog has a Twitter account, I'm sure he does. You got to give us a follow. We got to get to 700 before November because we are building the Four Horsemen podcast, both the podcast and the Twitter account. And uh, we love having engagement, right? That's why we do this. We do this to get fans. We do to do this to meet Michael and get him on the show to get you guys on Twitter. Because uh, ND is a big fan base. It's a smart fan base, and it's one that I love quite dearly. So, uh, do you guys have anything to say before we sign off here? Uh, yeah, thank you guys again. Um... And just, I guess, put my information out there at MJPALK21 on Twitter. Um, and no sparklers, all fireworks on Saturday. Let's do it. I agree. And that's all I thoughts I have on my end. Go Irish. Go Irish. Go Irish. Beat the Panthers. <laughs>